Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to the Leadership is Changing podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Giannoutsos, and it's great to have you here with me. And what we've been doing of recent is actually bringing together highlights of the different interviews that I have done in 2023. And so today's episode is three interviews from episode 434, where I interviewed a lady called Bridget McAdoo, and the title of that is Leading from a Place of Courage and Values. And Bridget is the VP and Chief Sustainability Officer for an organization called Genesis. Episode 485, Chris Cordwell. And the title of that one is Work Out Your Purpose First. And he's the CEO of an organization called United Renewables. And finally, episode 488, Vash Tomanek. And Vash is a great guy. And the title of this one is The Leader's Mindset Determines the Success of an organization. He's a serial entrepreneur and a business mentor. So if you haven't already heard these episodes, go back and listen to the full episodes. Great value, great information that these guests are sharing as I interview them. Relax and enjoy the highlights. I don't have a conventional background, I guess, from a sustainability perspective. I, I am a, I guess, retired engineer. That's where I did my, cut my teeth coming out of undergrad. Worked in aerospace for over a dozen years and then went into the retail industry. That's where I started my sustainability career. And then now leading sustainability as the chief sustainability officer here at Genesis. So it's been a, a beautiful transition of purposeful pivots to get me to where I am today, and which is why I love working on work that absolutely allows me to extend my, my focus on having those purposeful pivots. I, I don't know about you listeners, but I just wrote down that note, those those words, purposeful pivots. That's awesome. I love I love what you just shared there. Now, Bridget, people are thinking about Genesis. What is Genesis? Because this is global, this, this right. podcast. I mean, when you say Genesis, what does Genesis do? Yes, Genesis with a Y, right? You know, our technology powers how organizations connect with their consumers. From the call center to sales to marketing, we turn transactional, fragmented customer touch points into connected holistic experiences that allow customers and consumers to feel seen, heard, and understood. You know, our goal here at Genesis is to help organizations create customer connections in an impersonal world. So leading through experience orchestration led by empathy is what and who we are at Genesis. Very good. Very good. Excellent. Well, we've got a whole lot of questions for you now, but you know, your background, so where you're living, great place, the US, wonderful. And I see that also 
you, you talked about retail, but you've been in organizations that do a lot of retail, food and things like that as well in the past, which has been good. And so the thing I'm really quite keen to learn from you is how did you actually get into leadership? Yeah, I started in leadership technically quite early in my career when I was in aerospace. I, I was leading the operations and supply chain for the facility that I worked at when I was a contractor at NASA. And I was managing a team of engineers that supported our Mars lander rover operations that we were doing there. And as a young engineer, struck out to me was I had such a diverse team, demographically, racially. But the big thing was when you're a young engineer, especially a young woman leading older gentlemen, is how do you really get them to be on your team to want to know that they can trust your leadership, especially if you are dealing with technicians and you haven't had the tenure that they have building and doing the things that they've done for multiple years, coming in as an engineer with your degree and just saying, hey, here's my knowledge and here's what I know. I had to, it really pushed me to, one, to figure out how to lead with an influential lens, two, to build trust, three, to listen before talking and to learn from my team, right? I, I needed to be able to absolutely understand their perspective and where they were coming from. So while it was difficult at first, because, you know, you're trying to figure out how do you manage all these different variables, really did help me to uh, make sure that I was trying to be a, a, a leader that had a lot of breath and depth, not just kind of coming in with a position and a thought but making sure that I, I was as well-versed as I possibly could be so that I could, you know, not just lead, but follow also. Mm -hmm. That's great. Wow. I've got so many questions I want to ask you right now in relation to what you just shared. And that is, you know, as a, as a young woman coming in and then leading a team of older men and so forth, that whole transition. Now, you yeah. talked about listening before talking, understanding the team. You want to become that leader of depth and breadth. And I'm going to come back to that actually last piece. But what was the transition? What was that like for you to come in as that young young lady, young woman, young person coming into that mm -hmm. role where you've got actually people who are more experienced, who've done this, yeah. been there, and then they're like, who's this? What, what was the transition like for you? But also what was it like for them? Yeah. You know, I think what was lucky for me is that I had been there for a, a year or two. So I, it's not that I was coming in cold. They knew who I was. I think it's harder if you're coming in cold and they don't even know who you are. So they knew who I was. They felt it. So I was not having to build relationships per se. I mean, you, you still have to build those relationships as you're going in. But, I, you know, when I looked at it from their perspective, which is what I wanted to do, is how would I feel if I was well, someone had spent 20 years working in aerospace and had this young person coming in, how would I feel? And, and, you know, even 20 years ago, as you could imagine, being a woman in that field was very unusual. It was not a norm. And I think, you know, for them, they wanted to be, I think some wanted to be respectful. Most wanted to be respectful and tried to make sure that I learned as much as I could so that I could be successful. There were some who really struggled, I think, with that dynamic, honestly. And it was clear and evident that they struggled with that dynamic for myself. I had to figure out how to not internalize the conflict that others might have because there was nothing I could do about being Black or a woman every day I woke up. It was just going to be who I was. And it was hard at first to not internalize it, to not carry it as this burden or to carry it as a chip on my shoulder, right? Because you can become angry when people mistreat you or don't give you a fair chance. 
But I think, you know, it was also a, a it was a chance for me to really kind of sew into some relationships I had with my mentors, with my, you know, the I had leaders at that time that really supported me and wanted me to be successful. And that was helpful for me to have that support so that I felt like I wasn't on an island by myself. And then some trusted colleagues that I, that helped me to navigate those waters. But, you know, sooner or later, sooner than later, I was able to, the, the, the few became, and the few that were the noise were silenced by the many that we were able to make great progress with. Right, right. That, that's that's a wonderful way of hearing it and, and taking us through that journey. When you said you try to not internalize it, what were you doing to not internalize it? What what kind of things did you, did you use? And I know that you said that you you had some strong leadership mentors around you. You had some trusted colleagues as well. And so I think it's really important to make sure you've got like an inner circle around you to help you. Yeah. The question is, what else did you do between, you know, the way I say it, Bridget, is between your ears, right? It's it's what's going on in your <laughs> mind or the mindset. What did you do to help that? You know, well, I will say prayer is a big part of it at that time because it was, it, it was, I think one of the things that prepared me is because I was an engineer and it's such a male dominated at that time base mm. that you're just so used to it. And I'm also a, a daughter of a military man. So I just had I was used to these scenarios where I might be one of the only. And so I had already kind of had a, a, a little bit of resilience built within me that was hardwired within me as being the one and only of so many other opportunities in my life that for different reasons, the, the only woman, the only Black, the only woman in Black, like, you know, you just kind of come up with these things where you you figure out how to try to be as resilient as you possibly can be. This was just another one that was going to be added to it. And it, you know, there were some days where they were extremely difficult, where there wasn't, there wasn't enough prayer, tears, or talking that was going to resolve the conflict. But you just try to stay steadfast because you, you know that your talent your, is enough to be in, in the position that you're in. For sure. Okay, I started out my kind of professional career as uh, as a lawyer. Well, actually, before that, I did undergrad in business economics. Then I did law for a few years because when you do business economics, you're not really sure what you want to end up doing with your life. So it was either that or, or consulting. So I went down the law side. That was really interesting for a couple of years as well. But then I got the chance to do a three months of conment in an investment bank and ended up standing, staying there for 10 odd years. Investment banking was a really interesting career, really interesting time in my life. But after 10 years, the thought occurred, well, is there not more to life than this and chasing kind of quarterly earnings and quarterly profits and just you're trying to make, trying to make money for folks and you know, yourself and, and others, of course. So I uh, took the time during the great financial crisis to kind of step off and go and do an MBA London business school. Went in as an investment banker, came out the other side as a, as a founder, entrepreneur in the renewable energy and sustainability space. And I've been there for, for 10 years now. And it's been uh, best decision, you know, best decision I ever made. Oh, very good. And tell me something as well. I see that you're also somebody who loves to spend time with the family, exercise, volunteer. Tell us more about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Get yeah, so, yeah, proud parents, exercise. I think exercise is more. It's kind of my therapy. It's being an entrepreneur, being a founder, being a being a found man. It is. There's so many demands in your time, so many stresses. You know, no matter which which way you look, there's always somebody you know trying to. And also, you know, being in climates and environments. It's a fundamentally stressful, stressful place to be. 
So to try and again take you know, back to the, the theme of taking a pause and having a think, that's where I go and that's where where I get out of my my head and just try and kind of leave it leave it all out there and yeah, thoroughly thoroughly enjoy that. Yeah, and what kind of when you say exercise, you do that in nature? Do you what what do you actually do? Yeah, combination. Um, very much enjoy long walks, runs. I used to run marathons, less so now. But it's really kind of going in and just lifting, lifting as heavy weights as you possibly can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really, yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly. I think that find that very therapeutic, very cathartic. Oh, awesome. I think that there's a lot of people in business today who don't do this, who don't take time out to, to do that kind of activity, exercise, even just going for a walk and things like that. Especially when we went through pandemic side of things and so forth, a lot of people working from home, sitting on their butt all day and not getting out and doing some activity. And for some of those who had those smart watches and that showed the number of steps, it would be amazing to see 1,200, 1,600 steps for the day. And you're like, what? So why is it important for people to be out exercising all the time, especially for those who are in business where there's a lot of stress and so forth? Yeah, it's, it gives you time to think, time to pause, time to, to reflect. It's very easy to be caught up in the, in the spiral of everything, of the continual questions that are thrown at you and the continual decisions you need to make. It's a time to kind of to take a step back. And it's when really kind of wisdom comes when, in your quieter moments. And frankly, it also gives you energy. If you are just running yourself down, if you're, well, it sounds like something that you're expending energy on and it's a waste of energy it isn't because if you get fitter you get stronger you take time you take time out from your day to look after yourself to try and focus in in on what's important to you and your, your own health tomorrow you're going to be a little bit better the day after you're going to be a little bit better rather than just letting yourself get into a spiral of never exercising not looking after yourself you'll get slowly it's like one like fraction of a percent on a daily basis just be going down and your performance will be going down you want to turn that curve Bring it back up again so that a little bit of exercise, a little bit of health, a little bit of eating well, sleeping well, that will allow you to bring your best self to work. And that's, and you, you have to bring your best self to work. If you're a leader, your team needs you, your customers need you, you need to, be, you need to do that. It's, it's not for yourself. It's not a selfish thing. It's for like your family needs you. It's, if you look after yourself, you'll be around for the long term to look after other people, including your employees, your customers, and your family. It's actually, uh, I'm really glad you just shared all that with us because it's really important here, listeners, for to hear what Chris is saying is that be your best self, self at work or as a leader, you need to be really out there doing this kind of stuff. It's quite interesting, Chris, because it's sort of like, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's sort of like the opposite. People think, oh, I don't have time and things like that. But it's actually going to help you use your time better because you can get a lot fitter, breathe easier, think clearer. It's, it's really amazing how that, mm. that all works. But I'm reading a book at the moment called Outlive, and it's about exactly what you just talked about. It's about exercising, doing a whole lot of stuff to really not just live a lot longer, but have a good quality of life longer. Because as we start to get into our 40s and 50s, we start to deteriorate in our body and things like that. And if you're not out there doing this kind of stuff on a daily basis, or even if it's three times, four times a week, we start to actually start having problems in the future too. So it's really, really, really quite cool. So the book is called Outlive. And if you haven't checked it out, listeners, it's a, it's a really cool book. Chris, talking about energy, you just said before about helping you, you build yourself on that energy, so, so forth. You're the CEO of an organization called United Renewables. Tell us about your organization. Sure. Well, first off, thank you. I've put down Outlive now on my reading list. So let me be jumping on now. Actually, my local bookshop. Afterwards, and trying to get us rather than going for one of the the, lar the large, named after Brazilian rainforest type of producers. So United Renewables is a so when I left kind of business school and started out uh, United Renewables, actually at, at the time it was at Causeway Wind, 
Causeway Winds and I went out to raise a little bit of money. Well, a little bit of money. I really went out to raise, to raise five or six hundred thousand pounds to build yeah, for a single single stick wind turbine in Northern Ireland. And as it turned out, I was really successful and ended up getting kind of five and a half million pounds like very quickly. And it's it's it was great. It was wonderful, but it's created a little bit of pressure. Because a little bit of pressure was, well, suddenly I need to be building lots and lots of things. And on paper, it looked pretty straightforward to be to be building wind turbines in Northern Ireland because the legislation was there, the people were, were behind it. So it looked, looked all good. But then you got there and the reality was a bit more difficult. It was a bit different. So we ended up having to to do a whole series of kind of planning appeals to have to get the planning legislation fit for purpose. We ended up having to work with the grids, try and get them to understand how to work with the distributed network rather than, than the kind of single point-to-point generation that they were dealing with before. So it was a lot of work, but anyway, we, we ended up really playing a big, a big role in transforming the energy system in Northern Ireland. And from basically zero, we're now up over kind of 56, 57% of all the electricity from, from renewable energy. Not all us, but, some of the, but the groundwork that we laid was very helpful to everybody who came along with us to be able to build that up. So we've got a lot of expertise in how to make an energy system work from like working with the local population, working with all, with all of the stakeholders, working with local governments, uh, working with, with national governments, working with, with the planners, with the, the grids, everybody that you need to, to try and make a community greener. And we're trying to take that expertise to other, other parts of the world now. So we're trying to, we're, we're kind of moving across project dotted in particularly island nations dotting around the world. That's our, our speciality. We still do other types of, it isn't just wind now, we do solar, we do anaerobic digestion, we do, we do storage. And we also do kind of do larger projects on a kind of case-by-case basis. We've got, got a big solar project in Scotland, so for instance, 300 odd megawatts. So we're a renewable energy developer and problem solver. Yeah. Thank you very much, Dennis, for having me. Awesome. Now, whereabouts in the world are you today? Yeah, so I'm still in the country I was born in, which is the Czech Republic in Europe, in Prague, which a lot of people love. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Yeah, it's a great place. Yeah, very good. My father's from Greece, and so I get to go to Europe and that, and it's a good place to be. Now, I've given our listeners a little bit of an introduction to you mm-hmm. about your background, but we would love you to share more. Tell us more about you and what you've done and, and what your mm-hmm. background is. Yes, I believe what's important to say is that Nobody in my family is an entrepreneur, so I never had somebody leading an organization in my family or around me. So until 18 years old, I was just kind of had this this employee mindset, knowing I will do corporate job later on, and that's what I follow. Until I read the Rich Dad Poor Dad, we changed my perspective to what is possible, what I want to do with my life, and that one day I want to have a business. But I still didn't have much idea. So until the age of 22, I was still kind of reading books, getting inspiration from other people, studying at university. But then I had a big moment in my life, big realization. And I just quit my last job, which was delivering food for Uber Eats. So I believe it's important to mention that people can change rapidly if they make some serious decisions. And I went from the age of 22 being very not confident, insecure, basically not knowing what to do with my life to three years later. Now I own three businesses. Both of them did, or two of them did over seven figures already. And I'm now leading over 20 employees. Oh, that is awesome, man. Congratulations. <laughs> that's that's really cool. Cool story as well. Thank you. So there you go, listeners, going from an Uber Eats to going <laughs> actually making a decision. And Vash, what you actually just shared there, I think is really amazing, which is 
you quit your job because people can change rapidly when they make a decision. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of leaders are not making decisions. Nothing worse than a leader that can't make decisions. That's really, really crazy, but it's nothing worse than that. But you're right. People can make decisions and they can change rapidly if they really want to, right? Yeah, exactly. They need to have, we could call it leverage or reason why, you know, because for me to give you some context, I'm delivering this food for Uber Eats. I'm not in pain. I'm still making some money studying university. I'm young, you know, but then I saw these people in their 30s, 40s, 50s doing the same job. And I just saw that they're unhappy. They can't provide for their families. They don't have enough time for them. And I was like, no more. And that was almost the moment when I finally was able to make a decision. No, Vash, we are going to do the scary thing, which is start a business that you've never started before. And that's when it changed for me. So I believe people need to find their reason why for the change. Because without a strong why, you will give up. You will make a decision and a week later you will go back. So yeah, strong reason why. Yeah, and I think it's true that anywhere what we're doing in life, whether it be in a, lo- a role, a leadership role in a large corporate, small corporate, entrepreneur, if we don't know what our why is and it gets a little bit cold and uh, it's a little bit cold in the morning, it's dark, because actually, you know, I'd just rather stay in bed. Mm-hmm. Then if your why is not big enough, you're going to stay there. And if it gets a little bit harder or something, things don't go well, don't go your way, that's when people start to be like that. And so I think you're right. It's finding your way is really important here. And it's a big thing for people to understand. And I don't know about you, but do you think that people find their why straight away? In other words, they take a red pill, blue pill, mm-hmm. green pill and go, da-da, mm-hmm. I know my why? Or does it take time? I would say it takes time with yourself, which is very rare nowadays. Nowadays, a friend goes to the toilet. We immediately go on our phone. People have extra the day, they start sorting out emails and getting bombarded by news or YouTube videos. So I believe most people never spend time alone with themselves. And I believe the reason why is already within each one of us, but we just need to have the time to find it. Sometimes it gets triggered by external situation like it did for me, but then I spend time with myself really going deeper. Okay. I'm ready to make a change. Why is it important to me? Why I'm not going to give up until I get to my goal? So I believe it, it could be a combination from, from something external, some trigger. Maybe we see somebody more successful and we say, oh, I want that. But now we need to back it up with reason why. And then the reason can be found by spending maybe Friday till Sunday alone in nature, in nice Airbnb with no distractions, no electronics. And I believe the answers are within us. We just need to discover them by spending time with ourselves. Listeners, if you're not already taking notes and you haven't already got some big insights already, I don't know what to say to you because the thing is, what you've just shared there is huge in the sense that spending quality time with yourself. I think that a lot of people hide behind emails and messages and I'm really busy. Come on, it's just noise. But if you don't take time out to spend time with yourself, look after yourself, think about things, think through things, then you're going to find things very hard. You know when you talked about the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book? Mm -hmm. Have you read it once or have you read it many times? So this book, I believe I read it twice when I started. There are books I read 10 times, but this was almost this first kind of impulse. 
And I always tell people, we live in a box. And the box depends on how big it is, depends on who raised us, what experiences we were exposed to. And I'm from the Czech Republic, not many opportunities back then here. You know, I wasn't exposed to wealth. I wasn't exposed to entrepreneurship. So my box was very small to what's possible and not. But once I started reading books, it opened the box. And that's why I believe investing in mentors or expanding our mind to different networks of people is so crucial because you might be thinking, okay, for my business, the limit is here. But then you speak to a person who has the limit 100 times wider than you and you will find out what's possible. So yeah, it opened my eyes to new possibilities. Yeah, I think if, yeah so I think if you, what I'm hearing here is that the books that you're reading and the people that, people that you've met, in other words, the mentors, people who are, who are successful already, getting around them to get a bigger vision and understand where you could go was, is great. You know, one of the questions I've got for you is, how did you actually get into leadership? Now, whether it's from the Uber Eats days straight into your own business or later on, because now you're saying you've got 20 employees, but how did you actually get into leadership? Yeah, I believe I got into leadership because I believe leadership starts with us, right? And I believe I started with leadership when I read the first book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, because from that point onwards, I started building a foundations that later on I could build a great team on, great business on. So I started by working on myself first. But then as I started growing my business, what started happening, of course, I didn't want to be the one-man show. I didn't want to be the guy running it. I wanted to be the guy who is just having more and more impact. And for bigger impact, you usually need more and great people. So I got there by basically starting my business. But I would say it started years before that, when I started working on waking up early, whatever I say I do, being reliable, being able to switch myself from unresourceful states, we could say, to more resourceful state, to know how to handle my emotions and all of these things. So I believe my leadership started probably at the age of 18. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 